Hello and welcome to the Headache Doctor Podcast. I'm Dr. Taves, your host, and as always, it's our mission to educate and empower everyone with headaches and migraines so that you can break free from this life of fear of your next headache or migraine and dependence on medication. Today's podcast, we're going to talk about cervical instability. If you have received the diagnosis of cervical instability, if you've thought that your neck feels unstable, if you've heard this term thrown around and you're unsure what it means, or if you have it, we are going to talk about cervical instability. We're going to talk about clinically what we see here, maybe some of the assumptions out there that we um, we are actually seeing things in a different light or in a different perspective. Maybe you've received treatment for cervical instability, but you're still trying to overcome these symptoms. You still have migraines, you still have headaches, whatever it may be. This is going to be helpful for you. Now, for people that don't have cervical instability or maybe are unfamiliar with it, um, this podcast is still going to be relevant. We're going to talk about just general stabilizing things that virtually everyone with headaches and migraines will need to consider because we see this across the board. Every patient, just about every patient that we see will have certain weaknesses or presentations of their neck that will lead to general instability. So from from here, we have to understand that there there is, as I just said, a, a more general type of instability where the function of the neck, the proper response of certain muscle groups is that has changed. So smaller muscles are doing the work of bigger muscles. Bigger muscles are kind of shut off. Uh, when we turn our head, when we're upright, when we're supposed to be utilizing stability muscles, maybe we're just incorporating uh, whole groups of muscles that aren't supposed to be doing their job. So there are smaller postural muscles that should kick in throughout the day. They are intended to provide uh, a longer uh, sustained um, sort of load over a longer period of time, whereas we have these bigger fast twitch fiber muscles that are supposed to just um, contract and then relax. They're not supposed to be doing the work throughout the day. And typically what happens is we have these these muscles, these bigger muscles, these type 2 fiber muscles that are supposed to just contract and relax, these bigger, uh, stronger movements. And they're actually doing the work throughout the day because our, our head and neck isn't in the ideal position or posture. Now that can, we can use the word instability for that because essentially your neck is not stable. It's not stable in the sense that you're your neutral is relying on muscle groups that you shouldn't normally rely on. And so using that word instability is appropriate for a lot of patients. Um, so just general neck instability in the sense where we need to restore proper function in, in a static position and then with movement. Uh, we need to get each muscle and how it's intended to work working properly so that movement is efficient. And then with that comes stability because our, our neck is made up of these different, these different joints that, uh, so the cervical spine from the base of the head all the way down through the upper back, um, you've got each vertebrae that interacts with each other and each of those movements, 
uh, as a whole allows us to turn our head, look up and down side to side. So they each have their specific role. Same is true for the muscles within our neck, whether it's the scalenes, the sternocleidomastoids that run along the side, you've got these deep neck flexor muscles, you've got the cervical paraspinals that run up the back of the neck, you've got your suboccipital muscles, which are typically the ones that are kind of irritated up high in the neck. All of these muscles have a specific role, not only in holding our head up, but with the different movements and dynamic movements. And so improper function of those typically leads to instability, meaning if you uh, go ride a roller coaster or you do uh, a bunch of abs where you're doing crunches and your neck is not supportive, when your head's in a dependent position on your neck and your neck is not stable enough to tolerate it, that can be a type of instability that will lead to irritation, um, headaches that can result from it. I, uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, so I'm a big fan of exercise in general. So I don't, um, I don't necessarily steer people away from any specific type of exercise. But one thing I have noticed is that the, let's say if you're doing a core program, so a workout, whether it's YouTube, sometimes pure bar can get into this type of realm where you're kind of holding or sustaining certain movements, maybe you're pulsing and your head is hanging out in a dependent position on your neck for a period of time. And if your neck is not stable enough to tolerate that, that can be very triggering for people. That can lead to tension, that can build tension and potentially cause a headache. I've had to tell a few of my patients that um, I guess there's certain aspects of, of Pure Bar that can actually increase symptoms. Now in general, again, exercise is great and I love what, what Pure Bar does, um, but for some reason that's come up a few times. So if you're if you have headaches or migraines and, and you do pure by uh, kind of a, evaluate the position of your neck and really just in general, if you're an avid exerciser and, uh, and you're doing crunches or things like that, or even planks, your neck might not be stable enough. So that's the first type of stability. It's, it's like a stability of function, a stability of, of efficiency of movement and, uh, of static posturing. Now there's a second type. The second type is uh, what the medical world is going to um, be more familiar with when this word cervical instability, when, when the term cervical instability is thrown out there. And what that is, is really instability specifically of the upper part of the cervical spine. So the head that sits on the atlas, so the head sitting on the first bone and the first bone sitting on the second bone, uh, C1 and C2, the atlas and the axis, there's ligaments that hold those structures together. And those ligaments can be loose. Um, there, there can be joint laxity there. And there's a few different reasons for that that can be an issue. And uh, it's something we're going to talk about. It's something that that type of cervical instability, honestly, we don't see a lot of it in the clinic. Um, one reason for that might be that it, uh, it's something that is diagnosed well enough outside of a clinic like ours. So people, um, there are indications for it being cervical instability and it's caught before people get to us. Um, the other thing that could be happening is, um, maybe it's, maybe there is, uh, well, you can tie it back to rheumatoid arthritis uh, Ehlers-Danlos um, syndrome, and uh, and then yeah, and and Down syndrome as well. So those three accompanying diagnoses, we don't see 
too many of those types of patients either. Now I will say Ehlers-Danlos, um, we have seen a handful of those, not, not too many in the rheumatoid arthritis realm. And, uh, if you have those additional diagnoses, we, we can definitely add benefit. The treatment might look a little bit different, or we might have a different angle or perspective when looking at your neck, uh, because those different, like rheumatoid arthritis is an inflammatory process that can impact, um, the available spacing in a joint and, it, it, and joints can actually have hypermobility to them or more joint laxity. Same with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, where people just, uh, genetically kind of have, uh, a predisposition to joint laxity and, and kind of instability through different joints. Um, and that's, that's not, uh, I wouldn't say it's common, but it's something that we see, uh, or that is seen within the physical therapy realm. Cause a lot of movement problems come about from people that have, um, EDS and then, and then you have down syndrome. We, we, I have, I have not seen a patient with down syndrome, uh, but they can have this hypermobility in their joints I don't know if there's patients out there that have Down syndrome that also have headaches and migraines. I have not seen one on my schedule yet, so I can't speak specifically to that scenario. Um, but because of what we're seeing with just daily stresses and life and what that leads to in the neck, whether you have a predisposition to hypermobility or not, I would imagine the same sort of result um, is there. And maybe it's, maybe you get there quicker or it might look a little bit different, but, um, the stress on the neck could eventually lead to the, the types of things that will cause headaches and migraines from a very mechanical perspective. Um, and so principles that apply or gravity weighs down on us. Um, we tend to not be quite as active as we should be, or maybe we have some history of head or neck trauma because our head weighs 10 to 12 pounds and, our neck um, maybe isn't quite as stable as it could be or should be. And then we get ourselves uh, into these maybe traumatic situations like a motor vehicle accident. Um, those things will lead to similar outcomes. And uh, it might look a little bit different for someone with Ehlers-Danlos or rheumatoid um, or Down syndrome. But uh, we would still feel confident that we, we would want to take someone through um, this process and make sure from a movement perspective, musculoskeletally, they look okay. Um, the other reason that you would have cervical instability is the motor vehicle accident or trauma, um, leading to a whiplash type injury. So those ligaments are basically just potentially overstretched. Your head's thrown one direction. There's sort of the shearing effect on the upper part of the neck and those ligaments, um, can take on the brunt of that force and, and breathe stretch to a point where, um, they're, they're damaged. Okay. So that type of cervical instability, um, is it's not very common, maybe, um, 6%. I wasn't totally clear looking at, uh, any of these articles, but maybe six, 7% of people, um, might experience, uh, cervical instability. I'm not sure how reliable that number is the testing for it. Um, is an upright MRI, a supine. So you lay on your back, you do an MRI, you do a CT scan, uh, you do a digital x-ray. Um, so there's all these images. It's not really showing movement. Um, I mean, you've got gravity when you're upright and then you lay down. Um, there is something called a digital motion x-ray, which I've been curious to actually 
um, look look further into this, but it's actually an X-ray machine that you can see movement. And I um, I connected with uh, uh, the guy who actually invented that, and he he seemed um, pretty excited about the opportunity of seeing um, ligament structure and uh, any excess mobility through the atlas so that the first bone in your neck and, and basically if there's too much motion, it would indicate the ligaments are, um, are not as structurally sound as they could be. So now what, what do we see, um, clinically? So what would indicate that you might have this second type of cervical instability, which is more of a ligament structural thing? Um, now some of the symptoms that, uh, are, are common. If we, if we look, uh, kind of in the research, it's inability to hold your head up. So you feel like, uh, your head's just, just heavy sitting on your neck. Like it, it feels unstable, um, pain near the upper neck, near the skull, referred pain to the shoulders. Um, head feels heavy, tightness, stiffness in neck muscles, um, tenderness, headaches, um, shaking or unstable feeling kind of like dizziness. So those it's, this is, this can be a little bit confusing because, um, a lot of you listening are probably like, well, I, I kind of have most of those things. And so I don't want you to, um, start thinking like, oh man, maybe I have cervical instability because clinically we, um, we really, this is, it's very rare. It's not, um, it's not really something I, I want you to necessarily be concerned about if, um, of course, if you're like, oh, I, I need to know if I have this, not reach out to us because that's obviously the most appropriate channel is to actually talk to us so we can hear your story um, and understand if this is something that could be going on and then having you uh, actually come into the clinic or, or resourcing or sending you to someone uh, that can be a resource for you if you don't live um, here or aren't able to get here. But clinically, all right, what, what do we want to do? If someone comes in, with um, instability in general, the general instability I talked about, or if they come in with the more specific type of cervical instability, which is the upper ligaments. There are things that we can do clinically to test um, for uh, the alar ligament or the transverse ligament, which are these two ligaments that hold the first and second bones together. And, uh, and so we can test for that, and there are certain things that will indicate one way or the other if it's, if it's going to be a problem. Um, Overwhelmingly, though, what we find is that people have restrictions in the upper part of their neck. So we will test to see how much mobility is through C1 and C2, through the head and the first bone um, and the atlas. And we will try to understand uh, how much available motion there is. And that's something that, so this is looking at the joints themselves, the joint capsule, the ligaments that surround these two bones. And uh, trying to understand how how much mobility there is, and it's it's very rare that we find someone that has excess mobility in these areas. And so, what we're venturing to to say is that motor vehicle accidents or um, head or neck trauma, um, at least for for the majority of people, are the people we're seeing that leads to chronic headaches and migraines. Um, are likely it, the injury itself is playing into a restriction, a loss of movement in the upper part of the neck. So when you turn your head, look up and down, side to side, um, the head sitting on the first bone, the first bone sitting on the second bone, 
which is responsible for nodding, side bending, rotation, uh, at least a portion of all these movements. It's, uh, it's sort of lost its ability to do those things um, as a result of the trauma, as a result of just being sedentary, not moving the way it should. Um, the ligaments adapt. I was talking to my father-in-law this past weekend and explaining to him how if we don't use the movement we have, we lose it. And so it's, it's definitely more common for people to have hypomobility, a loss of movement in the upper part of the neck. And the movement that we should have there is actually, there's a significant amount. So when you turn your head, half of your rotation should come from C1 and C2. Now that rotation is, um, oftentimes we have compensation patterns that happen. So you don't necessarily, um, feel like your neck is as restricted, but if you're not utilizing the rotation through C1 and C2, if you're not getting that healthy movement throughout the day, um, you could lose it just by default of being sedentary. Same with probably a better example is the head sitting on the first bone. Um, it's called the OA joint. So the occipital atlas joint, it, it's, um, it allows us primarily to, to do this nodding motion. Think of sitting on your computer, looking at your phone, whatever you're doing throughout the day, and likely we're, our head's going to be kind of cocked back, but sitting resting forward in relation to our shoulders, but cocked back a little bit. Now, that joint wants to nod and extend. It wants to nod and extend throughout the day. And uh, if we don't teach it that it can nod, what will happen is the, the structure itself, the ligaments around it will will tighten up. It'll adaptively shorten because we're not using the movement that we should be using. And so we will lose that movement. All of these tissues within our body, uh, tendons, muscles, uh, ligaments, even bone structure is going to respond to stress. It's going to adapt to stress. And so if the stress reaches a point where it actually damages it, like in, in the motor vehicle accident scenario that you actually have um, the alar ligament or transverse ligament or these ligaments in the upper part of the neck that are actually like tearing. Um, that is one thing that we do need to go down the route of, um, I mean, there's everything from like injections to surgical intervention, stabilizing, uh, physical therapy would play a role in that as well, but it might just need something in addition. And that's, that's rare, very rare that we see that. Um, for example, like I've never sent someone to like get surgery on their neck cause it's so unstable. Um, and I, I don't know if I will in my career, but there's just a lot of ways. There's a lot more going on and things that we can work at to look at the neck as a whole, uh, to, to work on improving stability. Okay. So the, the, the ligaments, uh, are typically tight enough where the joint doesn't want to move. That's what we see, uh, clinically and, and that's, we've even had patients that come to us that are typically hypermobile. Um, they have excess mobility in other joints of their body, but the upper part of their neck, just th those two specific segments are restricted with our testing. And so how I explain that is the, the, the amount of mobility that we have in a joint usually means that we're kind of sacrificing stability. And so if you have more of one, you, you're kind of compromising on the other. Now that principle, um, I mean, it, it, it generally is true. There are situations where that might not be true. If you have like a high level athlete, that's very mobile, but also able to be stable. I mean, that's, that's the ideal scenario, but for the sake of this conversation, if, if you are prone to hypermobility, it means you're probably less stable. And so initially your neck is going to be less stable. Um, 
and you're still trying to hold up this 10 to 12 pound head, this bowling ball uh, of a head, and you um, are, are just going to be prone to injury. And it, it's not going to take nearly as much to to cause this type of injury in the upper part of the neck. And so it's definitely something that um, I would say contributes to restrictions in the upper part of the neck instead of the upper part of the neck just being super loose. Now, the feeling of like my my head and neck are unstable, that comes down to typically what we work with um, with most of our patients are uh, reducing the amount of tension or work that the sternocleidomastoid muscles have to do. This is a common pattern you'll see if you if you look at the side of your neck. There's this muscle that kind of runs from below your ear to your sternum, and it wraps around the front of your neck. Uh, on a lot of people, that's going to be overactive. Um, and if you kind of pinch that, you'll you might feel like pain shoot up to your ear, or maybe it's just sensitive where you're pinching. And uh, for most people, we see that's overactive. Now, what's happening is the deeper neck flexor muscles in your neck, in the front of your neck, are not doing their job. That's the core of the neck. We've talked about that before. And so stability in general, whether you actually have cervical instability up high and those ligaments are a little bit loose, um, or you just have general instability, we, we want your neck to function as optimally as it can. So kind of in either situation, this is going to be true that we want to build up a, um, your ability to use the deep neck flexors as best as possible and reduce the amount of stress through your sternocleidomastoids. Um, because if we can do that, just the neck in general will be more efficient, be more relaxed. And so through that process, a lot of that is, is education, teaching people what to do on their own. Um, and then we also want to get you out of just sedentary positions where your head is forward, because it, again, that's adding to, um, the, the longer your head is in that position, your neck is having to kind of work overtime or extra to stabilize, the more like muscles it pulls in and, and the more, uh, I guess, aggravated it'll feel. And so we need to, uh, we need to essentially get you moving more and inappropriate movement. I mean, if, um, like I said, because an inappropriate movement might be like, okay, you know, you think, okay, I'm going to do a bunch of sit-ups. Well, your head's dependent on your neck then, and it's not going to be as helpful where generally we tell people just like go on a walk because your head should be upright. I guess if you're looking down at your phone, that's one thing, but try to have intentional movement where you're swinging your arms, your head's upright, you're looking straight ahead. Um, that's, that's a safe, that's a very safe movement, um, for most people. And so we want to increase stability in those deep neck flexors. We want to see the sternocleidomastoids calm down. We want to see the suboccipital area in the back of the head. We want to see that calm down. Sometimes that can be a little overprotective, whether it's trying to work harder to get the joints to move. I mean, if there is some instability, they could be just trying to stabilize. And so um, we, want to, we want to look at general stability of the neck in either situation. And so either type of cervical instability, whether it's general instability, which is pretty much all of our patients, or more specific cervical instability, which is the upper part of the cervical spine, um, which we, we do, like, like I said, it's, it's rare that someone comes in with cervical instability to the point where like, they're just not helped at all. And we're sending them off to um, get more imaging and, and potential like surgical intervention or something like that. Um, because those ligaments, they are, they are very crucial for, um, like vital function. I mean, if it's, if it's going to impact the spinal cord itself, then yeah, it's, it's something that we need to definitely stabilize, um, because we don't want any slippage of those two bones. But like I said, it, it's not, um, if you're listening to this and you're dealing with, 
um, migraines that are popping up a couple times a week or, or something like that. Likely, um, it's, it's very, very likely that this is not that type of instability on those specific ligaments that would be something more serious. It's likely that that's not your situation. Of course, reach out to us or another provider if you want to, if you, if you think that might be your situation and want to know for sure. All right. So your take home is just general stability walk. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a broken record here um, and get your deep neck flexors, the core of your neck working. That's kind of the basics. Um, now we want to make sure that what's, what can be moving as a joint is moving. We want to make sure that the mechanics of your neck are doing what they should so that your, your neck and your upper shoulder and your upper back, your shoulders, everything can function the way it should. All right. So there's cervical instability to the two types, um, what we see clinically and kind of what, uh, to do about it in, in kind of a basic sense, uh, aside from taking on a specific scenario, which we'd love to do with you. If, uh, if you have not reached out to us, please do. This is the Headache Doctor podcast where it's our mission to educate and empower everyone with headaches and migraines so that you can break free from a life of fear and dependence and thrive in everything you do. Thanks for listening. 